Oh, hello, you lovelies. Welcome to the Strange and Deadly Show. This is a podcast dedicated to the Section 3 list, a selection of films related to Britain's video nasties. Mm. We pair up these films based on a theme, of course we do, and then we discuss and review them for your and hopefully our entertainment. Not always, but that's what you hope for. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any good podcatcher and you can find more information about us and the other shows we have available including lost in the omniverse our show all about comic book movies mm, on our network over at strange and deadly.com type it into your web browser so yes indeed it's episode 35 and would you believe it? it's followed on very quickly from the last episode uh, we're getting better at it or i am anyway i can't blame tom for this one he's consistent i'm not uh, my name is christopher clayton you of course know me the annoying one of the duo yes i'm back once again to ramble at you for just a brief moment and then of course i introduce the one that everybody likes uh but uh look here i am there he is. We'll introduce him in a second. How the devil are you? Thank you very much for the kind response to the last episode. It was interesting to come back with, come back to our horror show with two films that had nothing to do with horror whatsoever. Of course, we talked about the old uh, crisps of Jimmy Bain and Shogun Assassin. And uh, we enjoyed those, especially Shogun Assassin. That's a bit, of a bit of a special one for me. And Tom liked it as well, which got me rock hard and ready for the day or the night, as it turned out. I laid in bed after we recorded that episode and I was just steaming. All thanks to Tom and his words. But uh, we'll, we'll speak to him in a moment. Uh, probably not about that because it's a different episode, isn't it? We're back now with an episode that's definitely more horror centric. And I'm pleased for that. Uh, we'll tell you about the film in just a moment, but come on, let's bring him in now, my good friend, Mr. Tom Elliott. Hello, sir. Chris, it's good to be back and talking about, I mean, last week, let's face it, it wasn't a barrel of laughs, was it? You know, we no. we had a little laugh, but, uh, you know, old Jimmy Blacksmith, unfortunately, poor Jimmy had a bit of a rough ride and it didn't make for much fun, but... I wanted a bit of splatter. I wanted some low budget goodness. And I think we might have found our movies for that this time. Very possibly. And, you know, we kind of pick these at random, really. The films all leading mm. up to the final episode of this podcast is sort of, you know, is potluck. I think I've only seen one of the other films in this collection. So, you know, we didn't really know what we were going to get into. Um, I think it was Dan Budnick from the Made for TV Mayhem podcast. He kind of um he spoke to us on our little dm group that we have a uh, direct uh private sorry pm group private message group on twitter and he was saying that these are some pretty weird films and he didn't know how we were going to feel about them and uh mm. yeah tom why don't you tell us about those films give us an overview and then we'll uh we i suppose we can see if he was right well when i put this list together and i put these pairs together i would give them a title you know witches demons whatever and on this one, I put aliens, and I think I got that wrong because <laughs> one of these isn't actually an alien. But I think the connective tissue here is maybe low-budget legends. We've got a Charles Band movie, which is called Parasite, and then we've got Night Beast, which is by a real low-budget legend, Don Dola. I mean, this guy, he must have been making movies for absolutely nothing. But so I think that's maybe what we'll call this one, low budget legends. Well, Don Dola, Don Dola must have been on the dole, Tom, because he hardly <laughs> had any money, didn't he, to uh, pour into these movies. And yet 
here we are. Somehow, Tom Nightbeast ended up on Amazon Prime and the one by Charles Band hasn't. You know, you, you, you wonder how these things happen, don't you? You do, you do. But Full Moon have got their own Amazon channel, haven't they? So maybe it's yeah. on there. I don't know because I haven't got it. But tell me this, Chris, you know, do you have much of a history with not necessarily Don Dola? I think he's a, as a whole nother level of low budget there but charles band and full moon that kind of stuff what's your history with that well i dated don dola's daughter uh, <laughs> Debbie Dola. really. i just want to, i just <laughs> want to say don dola's daughter uh, a little tongue twister yes i do have a history with um full moon and charles band i've been a fan of their films well i say fan not all of their work is no. is you know it's variable but you know i i my horror love kind of comes from that school of, you know, reanimator and and that whole group. And Charles Band was a part of that. You know, I remember seeing Puppet Master when I was a, a youngling. I remember mm. trying to buy the DVD box set from America of uh, the Puppet Master series, which was difficult to acquire because he would always have it. Charles Band would like price it really, really high. Yeah. And then now and again, do you remember this, Tom? And now and again, he would have a sale on it. And uh-huh. he would he would always say it's extremely limited. Once this is once these are sold, these will never be made again. And this carried on for years and years and years. And when you got hold of the box set and you watched the DVDs, you realised they were pretty poor VHS transfers. So the boy wasn't always honest. Yeah, and then he'd be like a week later, well, we found another crate full. <laughs> so, you know, but these ones, definitely the last ones. Yeah, he did that all the time. And so, and he met a bit of controversy for that, you know, because people would start, people on forums and things, you know, I used to be on forums a bit more back then, not so much now. Uh, they would say, you know, he's taking the piss out of people here. You know, he yeah. keeps saying these are limited edition and that's why the box set is so expensive and it, it, it wasn't to be. Having said that, I still have the box set here. Right. The transfers are, are shit, you know, but there's a low budget charm, isn't there, to some of the Charles Band and the Full Moon stuff? Oh, absolutely. Well, the thing is, I think what I used to like about him early on anyway, was that it, it never looked like they were big budget movies, but they never looked really, really crappy either. Mm. You know what I mean? The original Puppet Master, I can't remember the name of the cinematographer, but it was like, I think an Italian guy who probably worked with some of the greats in Italy. And it had a real great look to it. They were really trying to innovate with the effects. And and still in that first film, there's some stuff that you think, wow, that actually looks pretty cool. Yeah. You know? And I think as the years went on with Full Moon, it, it, it sort of went the trauma route where they were just making shit for for shits and giggles, you know what I mean? Like, let's make this fucking stupid movie because, you know, for, for a laugh. I, I don't know what they're doing now. I know there's been a, a couple of Puppet Masters recently and um, one of them was actually reviewed quite well and I think Barbara Crampton might have been in it. Yeah. Um. So maybe they got their shit together. But I think early on, you know, Charles Band was good at putting what little money he had on the screen and and often he would get something better than his budget up on screen, I think. I think so as well. I mean, I don't know if you know this, Tom, but like the the sort of leading modern franchise for Full Moon is Evil Bong. (laughs) Oh, well, there you go. I mean, (laughs) there you go. It's like an evil bong that talks, Tom. Right. Okay. Well, Point proven. <laughs> so that's what we're working with. <laughs> that's what we're working with in 2019. But yeah, loads and loads of puppet masks. And also Demonic Toys as well, I think, was a big one yeah. for them. Subspecies. Uh, yeah. So, but 
as we'll discuss probably when we get to Parasite, which is the Charles Band film, uh, some kind of famous actors who went on to be famous came out of the Full Moon stable. So, you know, there was there was room to grow if you were there. Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure, like, people like Stuart Gordon. Is Castle Freak a Full Moon movie? Well, I think so. And, you know, all those, you know, from beyond, and I think they were Full Moon back in the day, weren't they? It's been a while since I've dabbled in them, but I, I think they were. I think so. I mean, I love Castle Freak. I saw it a couple of years ago. I've got the Blu-ray of it up there, and I really enjoy that movie. And, you know, you mentioned there, From Beyond, Reanimator. They're all classic movies to me. And, um, yeah, maybe you can tell, certainly if you know the background of it, that they're not they're not up to par with the, you know, quote-unquote, double-A, triple-A, whatever you want to say. Those are batteries. I don't know what I'm talking about, Tom. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the mainstream horror movies. But they, to me, Reanimator is, you know, as good as if Friday the 13th, for example. You know, it's it's there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that was Full Moon, was it, Reanimator? But I don't know. I'm I'm struggling to remember now. Maybe I'm saying that because a lot of the Full Moon stable were part of Reanimator, so it may just be that I've got yeah, the same thing. Yeah, there was some up. crossover. Jeffrey Coombs, I think, was definitely in a in a couple of um, Charles Band produced movies, at least. He was, yeah. And I've got an ex girlfriend actually who uh, took a video of him saying hello to me, Tom. Jeffrey, oh. Jeffrey Coombs himself. So uh, if only if it was Barbara Crampton as well, I'd never have let that video go. I can <sighs> tell you that much. But uh, anyway, don't lead me down a dark path, Tom. Why don't we uh, get started here? Okay, so why don't you tell us about our first film tonight then, Chris? Oh, I certainly will do so, Tom. Night Beast, fighter of the day, beast, champion of the sun. There he is, Tom. The Night Beast, now this was released mm. in 1982, also known as Terror from the Unknown. That was a working title, directed by Don Dola, and it stars Tom Griffith, Karen Cardian, Jamie Zemmerell, George Stover, and many, many more. Let me give you the synopsis for this one. A spacecraft is cruising the galaxy when it is hit near the Earth by an asteroid, sending it careening into the atmosphere and on to land. From the craft emerges a silver-suited alien who is most definitely not E.T. He immediately begins hunting down humans, starting with a couple of local hunters who swiftly meet their end when shot by the alien's laser gun. County Sheriff Jack Cinder is soon brought in to help deal with the local trouble, and he and his men confront this strange life form who appears to only want human destruction. They are unable to deal with the constant onslaught of laser fire, but also find that their weapons appear to be useless against the alien. They decide to book a hasty retreat to regroup, though lose some of their number in the process. Jack Cinder realises that their best option may be to take the alien's weapon if they can and use it against him. However, their attempt to do so the next morning involving an expert marksman ends with the marksman's son being killed in the process. They do manage to disarm the alien, shooting the weapon out of his hand and destroying it. Cinder decides to send out an evacuation order for the small town, asking residents to leave while the danger is present. One man who doesn't want to go is Major Bert Wicker, Bertie, hey, who plans on holding a party for the governor to gain favour with him. Even a fake threat from local resident and police helper, Jamie, of poison gas being in the area, fails to move Bert and his girlfriend who stay put. Now, Jamie is sleeping with the girlfriend of Drago, a local troublemaker who hears of their tryst and ends up killing the girl, which enrages Jamie into a good old fistfight. Meanwhile, the alien continues slaughtering residents of the town. Eventually, a plan is made by Jamie and Cinder to borrow an electrical coil, having noted earlier on that a couple of residents were able to scare the beast off by electrocuting it with a milder current. Using a much stronger electrical current should kill it off, 
However, time is running out as the bodies begin to pile up, with the alien slowly making his way over to pay old Mayor Bertie a visit. What the hell are you doing, Bert? I told you to call this thing off. Governor's right over there. I don't give a damn who's here. I want you to get these listen, people out. Listen, we've done just a little Didn't while. did I make myself clear this morning? Why don't you go write yourself some damn parking tickets or something? You're going to screw this whole thing up for me. I'm not going to budge. I want these people out of here now. Jack, get the hell out of here. You're making listen, a I'm going to start clearing governor. these people out. Sheriff Sinder, have you met the governor yet? Now, Mary. Oh, governor, I'd like you to meet our esteemed sheriff, Jack Cinder. Pleased to know you. How are you? Is there anything wrong? Oh, no, no, no. The sheriff just stopped by to say hello. He's a big supporter of yours, as a matter of fact. He's going to work for you in the next campaign, aren't you, Jack? Uh, now, Jack, you just want to tell the governor what a great Hey, look. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, may I please have your attention? I'm sorry to interrupt this lovely party, but I'm afraid we're going to have to ask everyone to leave. We've just discovered that poison gas is leaking from the old mines, and for your own safety, we're evacuating the town. <laughs> So that's why the streets were deserted. You lied to me, you son of a bitch. You knew about this all along. So, Tom, Night Beast, there he is with his bloody silver suit on, looking like the love child of Alvin Stardust and Susie Quattro. There he is. <laughs> what are you thinking about Night Beast? Tom, give us an overview. Well, I mean, normally I would go with a, an overview. We... we sort of do the strange and deadly show a bit backwards really we say yeah. this is my Good conclusion about this film and then we sort of go into the nitty-gritty about it but it's too late to change that but i'm going to go with this one a little bit differently because when you and i met we first started talking we both used to do various things i reviewed uh, dvds for a website you were doing your gore boy show and we both used to get screener discs didn't we yeah and I think we might have mentioned this on the show before, and a lot of them were just diabolical. We were so happy to be getting free DVDs, but we wasted half our life watching this shit. You know, it was just... <laughs> and and a lot of modern low-budget horror is this horrible stuff filmed on these really cheap digital cameras where... You know, the more shots you do, the more you have to edit it, the more you have to move the camera around, the longer it takes. So they'll just leave the camera sitting there on a scene for about five minutes <laughs> with, with no actual movement in it. So you start watching something like Night Beast and you realize that old Donnie Dola, he doesn't mind moving his camera around at all. He will uh, edit his movies. He will set up different shots. He stages his action, and no doubt about it, it's cheap. But yeah. for, for this first 10 or 15 minutes, man, this thing really moves, you know? Yeah. Um, there's action, the beast comes down, he's biting people, there's lasers going everywhere. You know, this is some pretty cool stuff. And, you know, I thought, we are in for a treat here. This is going to be a real bit of low-budget fun. And for the first 15 minutes, it, it really cooked, and I, I was really into it. So, you know, I, we'll we'll get on to the rest of the film in a bit, but what were your first impressions? Well, you know, I, I do have a real admiration for this kind of movie mm. because, you know, man, they're trying. You know, they're trying. Yeah. They haven't got much money. They're stringing together what they can with what little they have. And, you know, it's funny, Tom, you, you were talking about, you know, we used to get the screeners in. Um, there was a whole bunch of them. It was about 10 movies that came in from a company called Brain Damage. Yeah. And 
and they were so horrible that I I purposely took myself off all the screening lists because I was like, I don't want this stuff covering my house anymore. You know, I'd like to curate my my mm. viewing habits a little bit more. You know, they kind of put me off. And I remember thinking even then, yeah, I'm not a filmmaker, but if some if I managed to cobble together, you know, five grand, ten grand. I think I even said to you at the time, why wouldn't you try to make the best movie that you possibly could with the what few resources you've got? Yeah. And a lot of those movies, in my opinion, didn't do that. Now, at least with Night Beast, I mean, yeah, it's cheap. You know, the uh, your old alien boy there, he, he doesn't look great, I don't think. I mean, he's pretty much, it's a man wearing a mask, really. The, uh -huh. There's no emotion, there's no movement on the face of the alien at all. But... Man, I mean, it's an ambitious 10, 15 minutes at the beginning there, isn't it? You know, they're trying to put this together to give you some visual effects. You know, they're not great or anything. I mean, in the opening shot of the alien coming down and flying towards the Earth and then the asteroid hits his craft, it's cheap, but, man, you know, you've got to admire that, haven't you? The, the invention of it. We'll get to the rest of the film in a moment. The opening of it, what well, I was quite pleased by as, as well. I was like, oh, this is going to be some cheap nasty fun this uh, is going to be a little bit you know that you can tell that it's it's held together with paper mache a little it's a paper mache thing it's held together a little bit with sellotape but um i'm enjoying it so yeah the opening scenes of it certainly are quite enjoyable the laser guy i mean he has got a bit of a disco outfit on tom i don't how are you feeling about the disco outfit <laughs> on the beast itself yeah 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 well the thing is for that first 10 or 15 minutes they keep him pretty much in the shadow so i thought mm. all right have we got a guy a filmmaker with some smarts here he knows how to keep these things in the shadows he probably realizes that the creature doesn't look that great so so he keeps it back and i thought man if he plays if he plays it this way for the rest of the movie maybe he can just pull this off he didn't play it this way for the rest of the movie so <laughs> i mean yeah this is the thing like the way you're building it up there i'm very curious to what you think once we get past that initial 15 minute chunk i mean the thing is i don't think you know wait now listen I, let me put this into context right i because I, i've got to bring up the movie alien <laughs> directed <laughs> by ridley scott and please understand i know the difference between them in terms of the budget and the talent and all the rest of it involved but it's it, it it is a bit jarring to think that that's that the xenomorph was where we were in you know what was it 1979 and this is where we are now you know even yeah. the et was like what a year away or whatever um i think it was 83 et came out but you know damn it he the, the guys try i do think the alien like he's got a bit of a gary glitter outfit on time do you remember <sighs> gary glitter back in the day uh, back in the 70s before it all went down before all it, it all happened uh, he used to wear that like that silver jumpsuit yeah. um and we saw what happened with him tom so you know don't trust anyone who wears silver that's what i have to say about that uh after that initial 15 minutes well look we can we we kind of did it in the synopsis anyway which we tend to do but you know the alien arrives and he immediately starts killing people doesn't he you know there's no there's no friendliness here there's no do, do you think maybe i'm reading too much into this the alien was a bit scared because he was on a, a a new planet all by himself and he just you know he lashes out from the very beginning because he's a frightened frightened alien boy possibly i mean maybe he's got a premonition of things to come in this film because there are a couple of frightening things that we will get to um mm. But I think after this initial flurry, inevitably things have got to slow down. I don't think Donnie Dola could keep this this pace up for the whole movie. 
and it does slow down. And whereas that first 15 minutes is a fast move, and yeah, the act, the acting's ropey, the effects are ropey, but it, it's cooking and it's moving. Once things slow down and people start to actually talk and you get a moment to catch your breath, it's then you start to realize exactly <laughs> what we're dealing with here. You know, it's the level of... Um, Maybe not quite as bad, but you remember, I think it was called something like Invasion of the Blood Farmers that was on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, I've just drafted in my dentist to come and be in this movie kind of (laughs) acting. That's that's kind of what we're getting here, isn't it? Well, as it turns out, you know, good old Andy Roberts, who's got some feedback towards the end of the show, he actually sent a tweet over to me. Uh, last night and said that he that uh, you call him Donnie Dola, so I'm going to call him Donnie as well. And are you friends with Donnie? Well, you know, he's dead now, but back in the day, right? But that doesn't mean you can't be friends. You could sit by his graveside and like have a chat with him uh-huh. spiritually, perhaps. So I'm going to call him Donnie as well. He won't mind, will he? Yeah. At, at this point, uh, Donnie Dola apparently used to cast a lot of his neighbours yeah. <laughs> in things. So it, I think a lot of these people are just like local to him. And they're like, can you come and be in my movie, please? And they were like, yes, absolutely. I'll be there. I mean, you said the acting's ropey. I I think you're giving it a bit too much credit. I think the acting's rubbish in this. Um, (laughs) But, Tom, it's okay. Because we get introduced quite early on to the action man. The man of the hour. Mm. The man that we all want to be. We had Newman before, didn't we, in that other bloody movie. Now, but it doesn't matter because we've got the county sheriff, Jack Cinder. And good moustache game, first of all. A very good moustache game. There's a few in this, isn't there? There is, but the thing about Jack Cinder, Jack Cinder, is Jack that Cinder. he also caps it off with that wonderful curly head of graying hair. <laughs> and it's kind of like, did you ever used to see Brookside? Yeah. It's sort of like Terry from Brookside. You know, if you'd put if you'd put a shell suit on Jack Sinday, you know, it would have been like Terry's dad or something. Oh. Um Americans won't get that, but there used to be a soap opera set in Liverpool. And Jack Sinday, if he had a Scouse accent, a Liverpool accent <laughs> and a shell suit on, he would blend right in, you know. Can you imagine him coming in and being like, Hey, come on, La and all that they're all the rest of it. I don't know that much about Liverpudian accent, so I wouldn't even attempt it because it'd be insulting to everybody, especially you. But yeah, it's but Jack. The problem I have with Jack Cinder, Tom, and I do have a problem with him. He's not very engaging, is he? No, no. You know, I would like to see him teamed up with Newman from Aftermath. It was yeah. called Aftermath, wasn't it? You know, yeah. that would be a pairing for the ages. But you're right. <laughs> yeah, but and yeah, look, the acting not good in this at all. Like it, it really is not good in this. But. And it also it starts to slow down, like you say. And once these things slow down, yeah, you then begin to see how it's all held together, you know, with a bit of sticky tape. Uh, and you know, we get the the scenes there of because once they disarm the alien after that scene, you know, he's got nothing to shoot at them with anymore. You know, the, it's funny because the ray gun blasts—they're sort of like super low budget yeah. um, stormtrooper assault right uh, blaster rifle blasts. Um, interesting Star Wars link, by the way, folks. We'll come back to that a bit later. You'll you'll be surprised, possibly. It slows right down, doesn't it, when they're getting to the evacuation of the residents? It does, and then you start to get all these little subplots going on. You start to meet all the people in the town. You know, in one house, there's a party going on. In another house, we've got Drago and his, his girlfriend, who uh, Jamie was seeing. So all these subplots are starting to kick into place, and it's... Like you say, once it slows down, 
those cracks start to show. Now there's this scene where, and I'm not laughing at the violence of it, but Drago's girlfriend uh, gets a bit of a slap from Drago. I know what you're going to say. Go on. (laughs) Um, And, you know, she, her top gets torn next minute. She's naked, et cetera, et cetera. Now Drago leaves and then Jamie and the sheriff turn up and Jamie goes in (laughs) and has a chat to his girlfriend and she obviously tells him Drago's just been here and he's just battered me. So he leaves her there, gets back into the car with the sheriff and says, Drago's just been here. He's just given her, you know, he's just battered her. All right. Tell her to, you know, tell her to follow us in a minute. So they both leave, you know, so this poor woman who's just been battered by Drago is left alone in the house and, you know, the inevitable happens. Drago kills her. Now I'm not laughing at the horrible situation that poor lady was in, but just, you know, your girlfriend's just been battered and you just get in the car with the sheriff and drive off. There was a back seat. (laughs) She could have got in the back seat. (laughs) This is exactly the thing I took away from that scene. I knew I wanted to talk about that. I'm so glad you brought it up. You know, Jamie, he goes in there, like you say, he sees that she's been, you know, kind of accosted by Drago. And he comes out and he says, yeah, she says she'll be ready in two minutes and then she'll leave. Bye. And they both go. (laughs) And he thinks to himself, but if you just waited outside in the car, Drago never would have come back because he would have seen that you were there because he's in the bushes waiting for them to go. And your girlfriend would still be alive, you muppet. Honestly. And in fact, one thing about this film that is quite funny is there's an alien on the loose. It can kill people in seconds. There's not a single person in this movie who ever stays with a group. They all go off on their own all yeah. the time. Happens throughout the whole thing. That people have to go off on their own. Well, all right, but you stay within the perimeter. And of course they, they end up meeting their end because it's a uh, people don't group together. I know it happens in horror movies a lot, but really it's it's especially prevalent in this. Yeah, and I'm trying to think what else happens, but you know, there's a there's a female um deputy in it. And early on, old Jack Cinder, you know, he's a bit of a chauvinist, I think, because is it him where someone says, oh, we should call whatever her name is. I can't remember what her name is now. And and he's like, oh, for God's sake, you know, as if to say, we've got to call the woman and the person goes, come on, Jack, she's qualified or something like that. And <laughs> I, he's think, like, oh, I think so. All right, then let's give it a call. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. But uh them being in it together maybe leads to the most memorable scene in the movie. And I think you probably know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, listen, Tom, it's always a good memory when these things happen. And yeah, we get a a spicy scene. What happens is the alien, I think it's the alien, he wounds Jackson. Is is it the alien who wounds him? Something wounds him. Yeah, yeah. It's like on his leg, isn't it? A wound to the leg, and she comes in, and she's and he's he's got to take his trousers down, obviously, because you've got to have a look at the old wound. And then he has a, a rest. He's all sweaty and everything as well. Like he's nasty people. She goes for a shower. She just takes her clothes off in front of him. Like these two have never been intimate with each other before, or anything like that. She takes her clothes off in front of him, goes for a shower. He's laying mm. there, getting the right horn, Tom. Right, laying there, mm. wondering what's going to happen here. There's an alien on the loose. And then she comes out of the shower and Tom, they end up having a super spicy sex scene, don't they? And Tom, uh, Tom, I was going to say Tom Cinder, Jack Cinder, <laughs> there he is with his 
his caterpillar lip and uh, she's right into him, isn't she, Tom? And he's right into her and you get to see his bum crack as well. <laughs> the thing about this scene is, I mean, he's like, I need to go to hospital. And she's like, no, we'll go to my house instead. He's lying on the bed and you can tell she's getting a bit, you know, she's getting a bit saucy. You yeah. can tell that she's thinking, I've got Jack Cinder on my bed, you know. That's it. Yeah. Let's see where I can take this. And I'm sitting there like I'm watching a car crash, you know, in slow motion. And you're just like, no, I don't need to see Jack Cinder <laughs> getting it on with this woman. And it just slowly starts to go there. And then he, he takes his clothes off and he's, he's like a plucked chicken with, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this these grubby white Y fronts and then they come <laughs> off and you see his arse crack yep. and then when they're kissing he's got this I mean we all love a bit of moustache work but his moustache just sort of envelops her head it's like he's oh it's just the worst thing I've, I've ever seen and I don't there's something about this woman this actress I can't tell what age she is sometimes you look at it and she looks about 50 and then you'll see her in another scene and she looks about 25 and mm. I just don't understand it. She might be like a changeling or something time where she's like, <laughs> she's not quite human. That is possible. But you don't, you don't see Jack Cinder's cock. Thank you. So we, you've got to be grateful for that. Do you reckon like the, like his bellend's got like a moustache over the front of it? <laughs> that is possible, isn't it? It's possible, but I know, I don't think Jack would be one for the grooming downstairs. He probably had, you know, he probably yeah. had an afro to rival the one on his head. <laughs> well, it was the age for it, so he didn't mm. need to chop down the old jungle at that period. So, although, no, this is the 80s, so I think in the 70s, they were quite hairy in the 70s, and then I think, um, I don't, I'm just saying, uh, you know, I'm guessing this, obviously, not seen any pornography, wouldn't know. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, am led to believe that in the nineties was when they really started shaving everything down, Tom, right, that's what okay. I'm led to believe. But, um, yeah, so that is the least erotic, ero erotic scene, I think that I've seen in quite a long time. Uh, you don't, Jack Cinder, listen, let's get it. Let's not get this twisted. Jack Cinder is a, is a tough guy mm. and he, he's the hero of the movie, but you don't want to see him getting off, do you? Yeah. But it just goes to show you don't need muscles to be tough. It's all, you don't need it, apparently. That works great in my favourite, Tom, because, you know, you, you know how you've got the, I'm not trying to make like a beefcake joke or anything. I'm tired of those. You know how you've got, you've got a bit of a six pack going on there. I've got what's known as the hanging one pack. And um, <laughs> I'm quite happy with it. You know, I'm cultivating it to be what it is. Anyway, less about me, more about Jack Cena. So they do make love, Tom. And this lady of variable age. I mean, does her age matter? Did that prevent you from having your wank? No, you know, I, I still managed it. You still had you know, it. I stuck with it. But um, yeah. it, it was just strange, really, because I'm not saying she she was an unattractive woman, you know, but it's just one minute you look at her and she like, looks like she's 25. The next minute, you know, she looks like she's 50. But con compared to Jack Cindy, you know, she was, you know, Miss Whale, to be honest. But... <laughs> Hey, listen, Jack Cinder's a lucky guy. Why do people always make love when there's, I mean, is it that thing of we're going to die? So it, it's possible that we're going to die. So why don't we get it, you know, get it done here and now? Yeah, I, th I think so. You know, I yeah. think so. I think so as well. So um, I just want to go back to one point quickly, Tom, before we sort of get to the ending of this. And um, you mentioned this film kind of reminds you of, of something like Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Yeah. Now, I... <laughs> Based on the quality of the acting and some of the things that happened and some of the effects, 
this movie actually it made me chuckle a few times it made me it reminded me of one of my favorite comedy shows a super underrated comedy show that only ran for one brief series of six episodes and you've probably seen it so i would imagine you have uh, garth Marenghi's dark place have yeah. you seen that it, it really <laughs> reminds me of that now garth Marenghi's dark place is a parody of sort of old horror tv shows and, and movies and things like that and it's brilliantly so brilliantly well done never took off really in the uk because they i think they showed it on channel for about half 12 at night yeah. and um never really found its audience found a cult audience on dvd later but so much of this reminds me of that but this is real that's the difference you know that's a yeah, parody by yeah. brilliant comedians um now that i've said that do you sort of see any of that in there or is it just me no you're you're right you know it's a shame we never got a season two of dark place where garth Marenghi <laughs> goes to the states and makes a movie you know <laughs> and and it was something like this because uh yeah absolutely you know those pauses at the beginning of scenes and all those little moments that dark place did so well it's all here yeah and the stilted dialogue and the fact that you know jack cinder is is rarely ever emotional you know there's no range there really um, and <laughs> but we move towards the end we have got the um because this, you know, so much of this movie is very serious, Tom. But we've got the we've got the comic relief in there. Old Mayor Bert, he's there with yeah. his young girlfriend, and he's he's there. So because she keeps calling him Bertie as a nickname, he's like, "Don't call me Bertie," and that's meant to be like his a bit of comic relief, isn't it? In this <laughs> in this thing, and yeah. um, unfortunately, they um, they get killed off because they've chosen not to move. Uh, to leave the town and we come up towards an ending here i mean was there anything else you wanted to say before we go there no you know apart from that fabulous drunken acting of theirs that was great really good yeah um but no carry on man yeah well you know drago's still on the scene isn't he yeah well <laughs> i found it quite funny because i get the impression they're meant to kind of imply that drago's like this young troublemaker and <laughs> James Dean like kind of yeah 45 years old or something it don't really make sense but he comes back and causes a bunch of trouble there you know he tries to um I think he tried to did he try to rape the that lady the female police officer it seemed like he was he, he tried to kill her at least didn't he yeah and then but he ends up getting shot yeah by uh old Jamie there who's kind of like the hunky hero other than Jack Cinder don't have a go at me for saying that Jack Cinder's not the hero he is, but there's also another one there as well. So, yeah, everybody's dying, and you've got this core group. You've got uh, this old, this older woman and her, I think it's her husband. They were the ones who initially tried to electrocute the alien and found that it scared the alien off. You've got Jamie there, you've got Jack Cinder, and you've got the female police officer who we should have written our name down Tom it's not fair <laughs> you know we're being this is 2019 you can't leave the lady's name out but we do apologize it was a uh, a misstep in research there I'm the one who writes the notes I'll take the blame for it come at me Twitter what you got uh shouldn't be saying that either should I but um no. this ending <laughs> <laughs> this ending essentially involves the plan of getting an electrical coil. They're quite easy to find, Tom. I don't know about you. Just go down the road, you'll find an electrical coil there. Yeah, it's sort of like Jaws 2 or something, isn't it? You know, where they electrocute the shark. So we have this big this big plan that's created at the end here to kill this bloody thing off. And, yeah, the alien turns up, Tom, and they decide what they're going to do is they're going to set up these wires in between. Various people go off on their own to be killed off because for some reason that's the thing. They're waiting for this alien to come and people decide to go off on their own. Uh, Drago, of course, is shot and killed by Jamie. 
And in the end, they manage to find the alien there. He's coming towards them. He's going to kill them. He's having a good growl. And they realise that he's starting to pull away at the wire. And if he pulls at the wire, they're not going to be able to enact the plan to kill him with electricity. So good old Jamie oh. decides to sacrifice his life, doesn't he, Tom, by holding on to the wire, turning the electricity on. And it, it, it turns Jamie into the Crypt Keeper. Like, he, <laughs> Looks he, like he's been dead about 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he turns into a corpse in, in like five seconds. Yeah. And um, like a rotted corpse in fire. But, oh, that electricity is powerful, boy, powerful. And they, they kill him. The alien explodes, doesn't he? He, do, he does. He does. And, uh, you know, thank goodness. Thank goodness. But, um, yeah, what a ride. What a ride. I think, you know, it picked up at the end. It got a bit pacier again, which was good. And I think by this point we've settled into who everyone is and what level we're at here. So, you know, strong ending, I thought. I I think it's perfectly decent. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know we've got we've been we've been, <laughs> we've been through a lot. You yeah. know, we've had a lot of experiences. We've seen Jack Cinder's ass crack. Yeah. So that is that's going to scare you off more than the alien. You mm. ask me. But we stuck with it, and at the end of it, the alien explodes, and then they all kind of look up into the sky, and the credits roll. And you think to yourself, or I know I certainly did. Well, you know what? Good on you. Good on you for giving it a damn good go, Donny. For yeah putting together what you could with what little you had. Um, so I suppose, really, we should wind it up with a kind of summary of what we we thought of it in general. I'll let you go first, on because I think you're slightly more positive than me. Okay. With this kind of film, it's all about whether it hits that spot of being so bad it's good, you know? Is it silly enough? Does, is it pacey enough that it is kind of fun anyway, but is it silly enough that it's funny as well? And I think sometimes it gets there, you know, sometimes it gets there, but there are long stretches where it, it's just a bit tedious, you know, people standing around talking and in scenes that don't really seem to matter. And, you know, obviously these are bad actors, so it can't really come down on them that hard for that. But, you know, it's almost there. It's almost at that level of being one of those culty. And I think some for some people it is considering the releases that it's had which you'll talk about in a sec but it's almost there for me i'm not saying i could i'm not sure i could actually watch it again you know i'm not going to expose myself to uh jackson's arse crack again no. so but it's it's just not quite funny enough and silly enough and ridiculous enough for it to be one of those real let's get pissed and watch this movies but it almost is and, and i had fun with it just just for the one time, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not actually too far away from where you are with it. Now, when I look at films that I consider to be, you know, so bad, it's it's good. I look at films like Pieces, for example, which is mm. that crazy sort of GLO slasher hybrid that came out um, back in the 80s. And there's always something happening in Pieces that's weird. And because of that, I find it more palatable, more interesting to go back to it. Whereas something like this, while it has its moments, it does, you know, it it, it stays around a little too long. It lingers on things that, for me, are, are not too interesting. But, you know, you you can't be mad at this. No. You know, he's, he's trying his best, Toddy. He's trying his best <laughs> to, to put this together. Everybody in this is giving it their all, which isn't that much, but it's something. So... You know, I'm fine with it. You raised the question there of whether you would watch it again. I don't think I would, really. I don't, this isn't one where 
I would want a, a copy of it. I don't think there are certain no. films you see where you think, yes, you know, this is, oh, this is terrible. But I would love to watch that again. I, I feel like I could get entertainment value out of it. This not so much. I mean, if I was going to watch it, I would do. I would like upload it to my computer, do a re-edit where I'd take that love scene out, um, <laughs> just chop that right. And just out, watch but, that on its own. You mean? Yeah. Well, actually, my re-edit would be the first fifteen minutes and then the end. <laughs> I just cut out all the bits <laughs> in the middle. Uh, maybe put a, a montage of that guy saying, don't call me birdie. I'll probably have him in there as well. But, you know, it's perfectly, you know, it's terrible. It is bad. I yeah. think it is bad. But it's charmingly bad and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it has that real, you know, obviously this is a guy who loved movies, wanted to do on himself, put his stamp on things, and he'd done whatever he needed to do to make it, you know. And fair play to him. Like I said, that editing, he didn't just plonk the camera there for 10 minutes and have people talking. Well, he did sometimes. But, you know, that that first segment, uh, and he'd done various angles for different things, and there was some stuff, I can't remember exactly, but I remember watching it thinking, you know, you're editing this further than anyone else who who is making this sort of low budget stuff so fair play to you for for really trying with this and yeah absolutely much respect to don dola so i'm sure there are people out there who love this and it might already be sitting on their shelf but how would they get hold of this one if they wanted to obviously there's amazon prime in the uk but what else yeah well as you say, easily accessible via Amazon Prime. Uh, vinegar Syndrome. Now, good old Vinegar Syndrome. They have a tendency to release a lot of, you know, uh, B-movies. They released, actually, the um, the great Blu-ray release of Christmas Evil, which I think is one of our favourites on this list. Yeah. Yeah, we really enjoyed that. They released a Blu-ray DVD combo pack that is region-free. It contains a smattering of extras, including an audio commentary with director Don Dola and the actor George Stover. Uh, listen to this, Tom. It's a limited release of 3,000 copies, and there's only 264 left. You're running out of time. You know what? I wouldn't mind hearing that commentary. Yeah. I think that would be quite good, to be honest. Do you think they've got that available like a, on a on a torrent site or something that we can, can grab that from? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I want to spend money on it. Uh, I'm, only, I'm only joking, folks. I'm only joking. Support the arts. But, yeah, only 264 of those left so if you're going to get one get one because mm. uh they're running out and they're running out quick so that's how you can get night beast tom and uh that's that really night beast oh oh and tom i forgot about the the link back to the star wars thing well mm. goodness gracious me you will see on the credits of this film that a man worked on the music named jeffrey abrams now you're thinking jeff who's jeff abrams well you might know him better as Mr. J.J. Abrams. Yes, the director of Mission Impossible 3. He's there. Uh, he also directed a, a few other films you might know. Before he discovered a, a penchant for lens flares, he did some of the music on this movie. He was 16 years old, Tom. Hilarious. I mean, do you reckon, because I know he contacted Don Dola, didn't he, after seeing a, a feature on him in a magazine. Do you reckon Don was like, son, you listen to me in one day. You can you can be a filmmaker like me, and JJ was like, "Yeah, oh, all right, yeah, okay, done, yeah, yeah." I reckon what happened was 
that he worked on the film and they gave him like a, obviously a work print of it and he started doing the music and he got to that scene where Cinder and the lady have sex and he wanked himself silly Tom. <laughs> he was okay. only 16 so he was only 16 exactly the hormones are flowing you know so there you go JJ Abrams did some of the music on that and uh, hey he's directing the final episode of the, of the latest Star Wars trilogy so it goes to show you you start from meager beginnings and you can end up as, you know, one of the top directors. Well, I'm glad someone made something of themselves after this one, at least. So, uh, shall I tell you about Parasite? Oh, please do. Okay, our next movie is called Parasite, released in 1982, also known as Parasite 3D. There's a 3D version of this? Yeah, boy. My God. Okay, directed by Charles Band, starring Robert Glaudini, Demi Moore, Luca Bercovici, Cherry Curry and many Cherry Curry. <laughs> Cherry Curry and many more. Dr. Paul Dean is shown having a tremendous nightmare in which he is attacked and invaded by a dangerous parasite which burrows its way into his skin. He wakes in his van and we see that he's on the road traveling through an America that is very different. It seems to be a post-apocalyptic landscape now that has no formal government, with the country actually run by a seedy and dangerous group known as the Merchants. Dean has taken to the roads with much of his lab equipment kept in the van. He helps to save a girl who appears to be being raped by two men, only to discover that the three are working together. An old man finds Dean and tells him that they're known as sickies and makes him a cup of coffee, but then notices that Dean is exhibiting <laughs> signs of sickness and discomfort. And he has some soup later on as well. Yeah. Dean's, <laughs> Dean's nightmare was, in fact, mostly real. He has a parasite inside him and does not have long to live. Oh, boy, what are we doing with our lives? Mm -hmm. Dean eventually ends up in a diner run by a friendly chap named Collins who makes him some soup, and there's the soup, for the clearly tired man. <laughs> However, Dean's dinner is shortly interrupted by a gang of roustabouts led by Rickus. <laughs> Great name. I know. Yeah. Rickus. <laughs> they mess with Dean who decides to exit before things turn rough meanwhile a young lemon grower <laughs> you know because in a post-apocalyptic post America they always need lemons you know <laughs> okay a young lemon grower named Patricia arrives to drop some of the fruit off to Collins and is also accosted by Rickus and his gang they later try to mess with her again, but Collins intervenes and helps scare them off. Dean holds up in a nearby hotel and sets out his lab equipment. However, while going back to his van to retrieve some more supplies, he is again <laughs> bothered by Rickus and company, who, fucking Rickus, who decide that he has valuables they can use. They are also curious about a strange metallic flask, though he warns them not to open it. They kidnap him to their local hangout and then proceed to open the flask. From it emerges a deadly parasite, which attaches itself to one of the gang members. Dean is later saved by Patricia, who helps to nurse him back to health. He tells her of his story. He was tasked by the merchants to create this dangerous parasite in order to control human beings. Realising the extent of his evil, he decided to take the other parasite away to a far location so that he could study it to find a cure, not only for the world, but for himself. However, hot on his heels is the evil merchant Wolf, who wants the parasite back, 
no matter the cost. <laughs> Can you believe it? I gave up New York for this place. Where are you from? You're Los Angeles. Oh, yeah? I hear they got big trouble out there. That's why I left. Hmm. Well, I guess we both did the right thing. I left New York for that same reason. Hell, I love that city. That's before it got crazy, that is. And all that atomic shit started falling out of the skies. That's how I got this. Hell, people started dropping dead right in the damn street. <laughs> I had to get out. Hey, uh, I'm sorry, pal. I'm just making a little dinner conversation, that's all. I just lost my appetite. I see. It's okay. You're the first friendly person I met in this town. <laughs> well, everybody needs a friend now and then. Okay, so written and directed by Charles Band Chris. We've both spoken highly of him earlier on in the show. What about this movie? What do you think of this one? Well, first of all, it's worth saying that never has Tom struggled to get through the reading of a synopsis more than he has done that one. There was a trip to himself up all over the bloody place and editing won't save that. No. Uh, that's in there for life. You can leave most of that in. <laughs> I, will, I, don't, I will, my friend. Learing you have a good giggle hearing mm. about this is, uh, you know, that's salve for the soul, I would say. So, yes, Parasite, directed by Charles Band. Now, uh, and it, I admire it mm. when... I sort of started the other review the same way. I, I admire it when they try to do a post-apocalyptic story with barely any money to do it yeah. with. And we saw that with Aftermath and Newman, and that was, you know, a little bit, well, actually quite, it was, um, what am I trying to say here? It was a very low-budget movie and not particularly accomplished. This, on the other hand, I think is, I mean, you can definitely say that it feels more like an actual, a real movie, if I can say that. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it feels like it's had a bit, of, a bit more thought put into it um, compared to, say, Night Beast, which I do actually think did, did have a lot of thought now that I think about that. But, you know, it's a bit more accomplished, I'll say yeah. that. A little bit more polished in that it's not, you know, and the acting is not great in this either, but it's also, it, it, it doesn't reach, it doesn't go down to the, the doldrums that uh, Night Beast does. Now, that being said, interesting opening scene there where we see this parasite and effects, Tom, done by Stan Winston. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying when we were talking in the overview earlier on about how, you know, a lot of the people that we kind of love and admire in the genre or in different movie genres, even in mainstream pictures, they can they get their start at, at full moon, you know. They get their start in these kind of movies. We see that with Demi Moore, who's in this movie. We'll talk about her character a little bit later. So, you know, there is a, a way of kind of starting your career uh, at this sort of place. I mean, bloody James Gunn now, who, of course, is directing the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and is a big player at Marvel. He started at Troma. Mm-hmm. So, you know, writing Tromeo and Juliet. So, yeah, it's, as an overview of it, I quite like this, Tom. I have to say, I quite oh. like it. Now, it's got problems, and we'll talk about the problems as we go on, but as a low-budget post-apocalyptic film that's trying its best with what it's got, I do think there are some interesting ideas there, 
and um, I kind of enjoyed the chase along the way of this doctor um, trying to run away from somebody who's who's going after him. Um, it's got a variety of issues as we go along, but I, I quite like this one, Tom. You know, after I watched this, I looked it up online and tried to catch some of the reviews of the day, and a lot of them said it was very boring. You know, mm. it that seemed to be the consensus at the time that it was boring. Now, I will give it that it has a quite a languid pace to it, uh, for the most part. But you know what? I didn't mind that mm. because the interesting thing about this movie is that they don't have, you know, some voiceover at the beginning saying this is the world of 1992 and uh, you know an evil corporation known as the merchants has taken over america blah 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 it doesn't even have a character who comes in and and says that you know we get bits of it later on but it's this post-apocalyptic world which is only a nudge beyond the actual world you know what i mean it's not like 50 years after civilization's dead. It's probably mm. more like, you know, five, maybe, you know, a bit more. So it's quite interesting just to sort of go through it and discover what exactly is going on here. We don't even know what the deal is with the parasite in this guy's belly or nothing like that. So I just kind of like the, the pacing of it where he's discovering, we're discovering through this guy's journey what this world is like and... You know, I, I quite enjoyed it too. It was just, you know, maybe towards the end, yeah, it was starting to get a bit like, oh, I get on with it now. Mm. Or I just enjoyed being immersed in this slightly post-apocalyptic world and, you know, and seeing what there was to, to discover in it. You know what I mean? Well, the world building is actually pretty good. You know, it like you say, there's no explanation at the beginning of it that tells you what's going on. You have to work that out. And you do work it out, I think, relatively quickly. But, you know, sort of 15 minutes into the movie, you've got the idea that people are bartering with silver now. Money means nothing anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think, I know I, I certainly did, I got the sense that the parasite did have something to do with it. Now, as it turns out from reading about it afterwards, it seems like the world had just sort of ended and... The parasites were created then to, because um, we'll get into the backstory of the parasites later, really, but were created then to feed on the people who were left. So something had already caused this this post-apocalyptic landscape to happen. It wasn't necessarily the parasites that were doing it. So that was interesting to find out. You've got Dr. Paul Dean there, who right at the very beginning, we see him getting invaded by the parasite there when Wolf comes up behind him. Wolf, oh, there's Mahal. The Dr. Paul Dean there is invaded. <laughs> And the parasite comes in and comes into his belly and he wakes up from a, a quite a horrible nightmare. And we think, oh, is he just, you know, imagining that this stuff happened? He comes into this town. He goes and tries to get gas there. He has this run in with this group of uh, this old guy who makes him a coffee, <laughs> calls, uh, calls them sickies. And while he's in there having his coffee, we learn again from because the guy kind of says, well, you've got real coffee. So we learn that coffee's a bit of a commodity now. Not a yeah. lot of people have it. Um, he sort of shows, exhibits signs of, of being ill, of having a problem with him. And, um, yeah, we can infer from that. And in fact, it's confirmed later on that, yes, he does have this parasite in his stomach, the doctor. He finds a hotel 
goes to the hotel. He also finds a diner there, and we meet uh, an actor that I really like there. I don't think I've... I can't remember seeing him in anything, but he's the guy at the, who runs a diner named Connors. Have you ever seen him in anything before this? The soup guy? Um, not that I can recall, no, no. I quite liked him. He was sort of an affectionate, friendly face yeah. and gives him a soup. And Dean sort of, uh, uh, he's Dr. Paul. I'm just calling him Dean using his surname because it's quicker to do that. Uh, yeah. Dean uh, eats a bit of the soup and they have a little chat. But um, the I old guy says, the well, soup look, makes me laugh so much. What, why does it make you laugh? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, but I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Canned goods would be the thing that lasts, you know what I mean? But he's sitting having a soup and then Rictus, Rickus comes in and he steals the soup off him and starts to eat it. You know what I mean? So it's very, very soup-related kind of uh, scene. But sorry, carry on. Yeah, there's a lot of soup talk. Yeah. A lot of soup talk going on. Quite and soupy. yeah, so he's enjoying his soup. We don't know what's in that soup, Tom, which was, for me was the worst part. Did he have uh, perhaps a cream of mushroom or a cream of chicken? It looked lumpy to me. Mm. So it could have been a scotch broth. So we, we'll we'll, ne we'll never know, Tom. We'll just never know. But unfortunately, who turns up, Tom? It's old Rickus the Dickus. He comes in <laughs> and he's got his bunch of roustabouts. One of them, one of the ladies there, played by Cherry Curry, who, of course, is famous for being in what, Tom? I don't know, man. You got me on this one. Oh, Tom, stop listening to the bare naked ladies, mate. And bloody listen to the runaways. That famous uh, girl band who were around in the 70s who had that classic song cherry bomb ch 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 cherry bomb they used to talk about bombs a lot they were terrorists tom <laughs> you don't remember the runaways no man oh tom you used to have like a a chris cornell haircut as well back in the days what's happened what's happened to you they were a famous they had a couple of of top hits and joan jett was in the band and uh, do you remember joan jett I remember her, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then she ended up going solo and became bigger than the Runaways ever were. But uh, Lita Ford was in there as well. She was like a big kind of hair metal star back in the day. But Cherry Curry was was the singer of the Runaways, and she is the girl uh, okay. who plays like Rickus's girlfriend, I guess. Right. In, got, you yeah. don't seem that impressed by it, Tom, by my oh, So when I was saying before, when I got her name wrong, and you were like, no, it's such and such, and I was like, who gives a fuck? No one knows who yeah. she is anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I was completely wrong about that. Yep. We probably would have edited that bit out, Tom, but that you've given an insight into uh, what you're like. You're abusive to me. Everybody thinks it's the other way around, but not. He shouted at me properly, and I'm just sitting here shaking, you know, like a leaf from the abuse I'm taking. But uh, yeah, so they they come in, and I mean, he's just a dick, isn't he, Rickus? He is. Yeah. I mean, every every um, '80s movie, not every '80s movie, but you know, ET didn't have. To, well, I don't know, but there's always like. The gang, isn't there? And they're all yeah. just dickheads. You know, <laughs> Friday the 13th Part 3, and they just turn up and they're just total arseholes, you know? And does this happen in America? You're just sitting there and, like, just a load of fucking arseholes. <laughs> Come and just start messing <laughs> shit up for you. you and know, they took it, his soup as well to give yeah. him his soup back. It's like in Death Wish, and, you know, that was pretty grim. But, yeah, this sort of crazy, like rough gang who always just come and mess with people for the sake of it you know it's quite prevalent isn't it in a lot of movies yeah and so they're messing with with poor old dean there who's just trying to just trying to have some damn soup that's yeah. all he wants a man Tom. have a soup he's trying to eat his soup his lumpy soup scotch broth i reckon 
uh, or perhaps could be cream of chicken. But like I say, it is lumpy, so we, we, we'll never know. We'll just never know. But who steps in, Tom? But old Demi Moore, long, long, long before uh, Patrick Swayze grabbed a clay, had a, had a grab at her old clay, yeah. ghost. <laughs> And um, that really weird scene, because I, I really enjoy Ghost because it reminds me, the Whoopi Goldberg character reminds me of my auntie Joyce. But there's one scene in that where where Patrick Swayze's spirit inhabits the body of Whoopi Goldberg and Demi Moore comes up to her and is like mm. touching her face in an erotic when it's really weird. Um, yeah. So long before she brushed uh, her hand across Whoopi Goldberg's face, Tom, uh, we had Demi Moore in this. Lo- and even even longer... Uh, or even further back before she did striptease and ruined her own career back in, in old 1996. Remember that, Tom? <laughs> old I remember it well. You know, oh, I bet you bloody did. Uh, Demi from, you know, we all love Demi. I still love Demi. Charlie's Angels 2, shit movie, but Demi Moore looked fabulous in it. You know what I mean? Mm. She, she is, I'm trying to think, has she ever been in a, any great movies that I actually like? You don't like Ghost? Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's good. I'm not saying it's a great movie, but it's... But it's not really my cup of tea. I wouldn't say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to sit and watch Ghost. You know, it's Mm. just not going to happen. Strip tease, maybe for a a couple of minutes or something. But... um, we begin, see, this is the show that brings out the real Tom, you see. This is where we get to see where I'm there watching Ghost with my family as a kid, like being lovely about life, and you're sitting there fucking playing with your old Hampton, looking at <laughs> looking at striptease. And this was long before she married Bruce Willie as well. Yeah. Oh, Bruce Willie. But my, um, my point being that, yes, you know, I've always loved Demi Moore, and I still do. Yeah, so she's there, and she she's yep. the lemon grower. Patricia Wells. She is a lemon <laughs> grower. resident <laughs> lemon grower. And Rick is, you know, obviously the gang lots that make fun of her and everything and they kind of accost her. And uh, accost is my words that I've been using that a lot. And and Rickus does something that I don't think anybody would do. He grabs a lemon and like, bites into it like, I'm, I'm going to take. Who does that with a raw lemon? Maybe the clue is in his name. Rickus. Mm. Maybe that's a play on Ricketts. And that's why people call him that. So he always needs to make sure he gets his vitamin C. So that's why he bites into a lemon. Yeah. It's also possible that when they were writing out his birth certificate, they meant to write Rick, but then the person who was writing out his stroke at the end, and it, <laughs> it just looks like us at the end and they left it there. That's possible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That is possible. So she comes in and of course the gang later on outside, they kind of, you know, they mess around with her and um, old Collins comes in, the, the, the nice diner guy. <laughs> the diner, the owner of the diner, and threatens them with like a sawn-off shotgun, I think it was, or a shotgun. And mm. yeah, Rickus is just a right old dick, and Cherry Curry's not helping anything. There we were in the seventies, me as well, probably, well in spirit because I wasn't born till nineteen eighty-three. But there we were supporting you when you did bloody Cherry Bomb, and now you're hanging around with Rickus. <sighs> Honestly, it's just disgraceful. This whole affair. You take over, Tom, for a bit, because I'm just mad about it. Okay, well, I'll let you cool off for a minute, but um, have some soup. But um, I'm trying to think where to go next with it, because it it does kind of meander along now you come to talk about it a bit. Yeah. You know, it just sort of plods along. Um, But let's talk about the parasite, because Mm. the thing is, 
old Rickus. Dean has like some equipment and they seem to really focus on this flask that he has. Like, yeah. what the hell's in that flask? You know, like that would probably be the, the thing I would focus on least. I mean, how <laughs> yeah. great's it going to be? You know what I mean? Maybe some booze or something. I don't know. But they're in a pub. They can just steal off the dude. So they really focus on it. Like, we've got to go to our flask. And they end up getting it. And the parasite comes out, doesn't it? And, you know, I think if I have a criticism, a bit more parasite action would have been good because, I mean, this is Stan Winston back in the day and he was, you know, he's a legend for a reason. And the par- the parasite looked pretty good, didn't it? And there's some pretty decent effects in this. So what do you think of the old parasite? It's some pretty decent gore in this. I mean, the, the parasitic element of the parasite, um, I'll say that very quickly, the parasitic element of the parasite reminds me a bit of the work of Cronenberg. There's a little bit of a Cronenberg mm. vibe to, to this, I think. Now, it lacks the in, the, intec, the intellect and intelligence of a Cronenberg movie, but there are things about this that reminds me of something like Scanners, you know? Yeah. Or it's got that sort of feel to it, and I think the parasite aids that. Yes, I would have liked more parasite action. I'd like to have seen that thing really darting around and like take it out. I'd, I'd have liked to have seen it take out the whole gang, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, because definitely. they were a bit irritating, aren't they? Really? Bloody Rickus. Well, Rickus has got a bit of backstory to him, which is weird, you mm. know, that they had, had so much backstory. Because did he used to be a merchant or he worked for the merchants or something? I can't remember now. I think it, it's implied that, that he was he and the gang were like slaves to the merchants. So in, right. that is when they begin to they begin to plant the seed for actually this gang perhaps not being as bad as they've appeared. They're just perhaps a bit lost in life and they don't know what to do. This is all they know how to do really is to be troublemakers. Yeah. But in actual fact, they run because this guy Wolf comes in and he's after Dr. Dean. He wants to get the parasite back so they can carry on using it. And Uh Dr. Dean, as we find out through his chats with Demi Moore's character, the lemon grower, she, he doesn't eat a lemon by the way, Tom, very disrespectful. Stay in somebody's house. Don't eat the, the fruit of choice. I just like the way every time you mentioned Demi Moore, you mentioned that she was a lemon grower. It's an odd choice. It really, it really it is, is an odd it? choice, you know. It is strange. And it is strange when she comes in and says, oh, you know, I've got your weekly supply of lemons here. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God, because we almost ran out. Exactly. But I tell you what, Tom, it does play into something, because later on Wolf comes into the diner and he has a glass of lemonade. <laughs> so it does, you know... Well, and what you don't actually see is that when he plonks down his can of soup, there's a little little side of lemon there on the side, but you don't actually see it. But, you know, it's it's a big thing in this time. Maybe his specialty is lemon soup, eh? Maybe that's we've possible. just solved it. Maybe that's what it is. That is. These are all possibilities. Have at them as you will, folks, but we've got to get on with this. And, yeah, mm. so he explains to Demi, <laughs> he explains to Patricia, the lemon grower, that... Uh, they, uh, he was working for the merchants. The merchants basically have taken over from the government and they wanted him to create this parasite to take over the human beings that are left on the planet, I guess. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. So he's gone on the run with the parasite. He wants to study it. And from that, he's going to synthesize some sort of information from it that will help them to find a cure, kill the parasite off and save humanity, I guess. So that is what it's all uh, coming to. Now, what happens is when they, they kidnap Dr. Dean, the gang, the parasite, of course, comes off and attaches to one of the gang members and sort of eats his body, really, doesn't it? And it seems to kind of suck the the life out of them. Like mm. it, it turns them 
Do you know what I mean? Like it kind of turns them into a corpse almost and sucks yeah. the life out of them. And once it's got all the goodness out of it, the juice, the lemon juice out of them, it moves <laughs> on to the next person, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it does. It, <laughs> it does. does, doesn't it, Tom? And the person it moves on to is Cherry Curry. And I'll oh, tell you what, Cherry. after how she made me so mad, Tom, I'm bloody glad for it. <laughs> I'm glad for it. But yeah, and that's, I guess, Rickus's girlfriend in this. It attaches itself to her leg and they have to... They have to go to the hotel and um, and try and help her. So at this point, Rickus, there's a change, isn't there, in, in what happens with the character arc of Rickus? Yeah, I can't believe we're talking about the character arc of, of Rickus. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he's probably got the biggest arc in the bloody movie, to be honest. He has. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you what, I mean, let's just talk about the actors for a sec, because the main guy, Dean, he's an odd looking cookie, isn't he? You know? Yeah. And he's this sort of haunted um, dude who just occasionally does this big, massive grin, you know. <laughs> it just spreads across his face. But I, I thought he was pretty good, you know. He's been on the road for a while. He's been trying to keep this thing in check. So I was cool with that. I was a bit disappointed with Demi, the lemon grower, because she didn't really have that much to do, did she? No. She was just friend to Dean, and, and that was about it. I mean, she was a friendly face to him and was an ally. I have to say, Tom, going back to the guy who played Dr. Paul Dean, I slightly disagree with you, and I don't think he's bad. I just don't think he's very interesting yeah, as an actor. I, you know, I he remind, he remind, again, I, I sort of I draw those comparisons to Scanners. He reminds me of the lead guy in Scanners, mm, mm. you know, where I just think there are better actors around him, and he's kind of a bit of a dullard, but perfectly fine in, in the role. As you say, Demi Moore doesn't get to do very much. She's growing her lemons there. That's her purpose. There's nothing else to be done, really. She's, but at least she believes the Doctor, and she's there as, as a kind of aid to him. Yeah. Um, what about the other actors, Tom? You were you were going to mention. Well, there's only really. I mean, Soup Guy, he's cool. The old lady at the hotel, she's kind of fun. Um, coffee dude, he's all right. And then there's just really Rickus, isn't there? And and you know the rest of the gang. Who knows? They're just these sort of generic gang gang member actors but but yeah you know when you compare it to night beast they're all fucking oscar worthy but you know for this level of movie they're fine yeah i mean i have to say tom you mentioned this at the very beginning that some people found this to be quite slow i do think it, it lacks a bit of pace in places mm. but i have to say at the same time i did enjoy the flow of it you know i, I enjoyed where the story was going i like the idea of this guy running away from the essentially from a from a, a foul government who were trying to capture him yeah. and i think that part of it works really well and like i said apart from you know the rickus situation where rickus ends up becoming a hero essentially because wolf turns up he's after dr dean he turns up and i think he's he's about to kill collins the uh the soup guy as tom calls him and he saves uh, Collins's life, but ends up being killed by Wolf. Now, Wolf is a pretty mean dude. Uh, he And Rick has actually had a chance to kill Wolf, didn't he, a little bit earlier in the movie where he like beats him up, but leaves him alive for some reason. I don't know why he left him alive, but he did. And, of course, he comes in and ends up killing Rickus. But his real goal is to get that parasite, Tom. And as we move towards the ending of it, you know, he, he kind of slaps the crap out of Demi, doesn't he? Does, there, does, yeah. In that scene, violent guy. And Dr. Dean is working on trying to find a cure. And he, he manages to rescue her and then tells her, well, I found out 
I found a method of, of how we can do this, how we can kill the parasite. We use high frequency sound waves. And they never really, they don't show how he came to that. Yeah, it just come that, out of nowhere, didn't it? But hey, you know, we haven't got much time to work with, no much money. I guess you can kind of forgive it that, can't you? Yeah, yeah. So then they come back to the hotel and there's actually a pretty cool little gore scene there where the lady who runs the hotel, you know, a parasite drops down onto her face. Yeah. And comes bursting out of it, Tom. It's pretty cool gore effect. You know, Stan Winston in, in you know, doing great work there. Yeah, like I say, I wish we had more of them, that's all. I think because I didn't mind the pacing for the first half. I think in the second they were starting to get a little bit, you know, like, come on, get on with it. And I think mm. if they'd have ramped it up with a bit more parasite action, you know, just have that thing tearing people apart. But I understand it was practical effect. It's a low-budget movie. They probably really had to limit the use of the parasite. So I can understand it. Yeah. But it all comes, it all culminates in this ending where Wolf comes into the hotel and he's he's tussling with uh, Dr. Dean and the parasite attaches itself to uh, this guy. And I think they tussle again, have a little struggle with each other and, and Dr. Dean ends, ends up pushing him outside and then blows up a gas canister. I think it's actually Demi who fires the shot. She's she's moved on from Lemon Grown. She's become a cold-hearted killer, Tom. Mm. And she's... Uh, she shoots the gas tank there and blows up the guy and he dies along with the parasite. And so it's sort of a happy ever after kind of ending, isn't it, really? Because you've got Dr. Dean's still alive, she's still alive, and Collins is still alive. And presumably the rest of the gang as well, apart from Rick is obviously dead, his girlfriend is dead. Uh, I think the rest of them remain. So it would, but there's a shot at the very end of the movie, Tom, where it shows the parasite again. And I wondered if that was them saying it's still alive or if they were saying, well, this is what the parasite looked like, just to remind you of the danger that they faced. I wasn't entirely clear on that. But, you know, give no. me your summary of this ending. I am, um, yeah, I've not, not more to say, to be honest, you know. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I don't know which one it, it meant. I like to think that maybe they all sat around and had a nice can of soup. Yeah. afterwards and maybe a lemon each mm -hmm. and uh yeah happily ever after there you go so your biggest takeaways from this are soup and lemon <laughs> soup and lemons man absolutely absolutely but i guess to sum up um i summed up first last time go on you you give us your overview of this one man all right well i quite liked it you know i do have a fondness for some of the some of the charles man pictures you know i'm quite fond of the first trances movie uh, did you ever yeah. see trances uh way back when god so long now mm -hmm. well you see that had another starlet in the making uh helen hunt was in that which was in the 80s and she went on to be a big star as well uh so you know a lot of people get their start in charles band movies i guess or movies that certainly surround the full moons uh, the full moon brand uh and also trances by the way tom has another great jack in it jack death Oh, okay. Yeah, Jack Death, played by Tom Thomason, I think it is. But yeah, I like this, Tom. You know, I think it's a, a perfectly decent movie. You know, it has got pacing issues. I do, as you say, I'm pretty much on the same boat as, you, as your good self, really. I think it's it could have done with some more killings. Mm -hmm. But I like the, the idea of the story. I think there's a bit of a Cronenberg element to it that I enjoy, a bit of the body horror. Uh, Cronenberg does it better, but he's... a you know, more accomplished directors, not not to disparage the work of Charles Band too much, but Cronenberg is a bit of a genius, really. I don't think Charles Band fits in that same camp. 
Although he did direct Evil Bong. So you've got to give him that. But I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was it was a pretty good film. I thought it works most of the way through it. Uh, some of the characters I, I quite liked. Not super keen on the lead actor, but he's fine. Uh, overall, I think it's it's a perfectly decent movie that is certainly more accomplished than Night Beast. Is it as fun as Night Beast? Well, that's where, where the question comes in. Probably not really. This I don't think you would look at this and think, oh, this is absolutely terrible. There were a lot of negative reviews back in the day, certainly, and it doesn't seem to be a film that is appraised as, as something of a, of a cult entry like Night Beast is. But I liked it, Tom. What say you? Yeah, I like the dusty kind of slightly post-apocalyptic vibe to it. You know, like society's broken down, but it's not completely broken down. And we just get to cruise through that world for a little bit and, and discover what's going on. So a Blu-ray release of this film is due on the 22nd of October, 2019. Get your credit card ready, boy. Get your credit card ready via the Kino Lorber label. I've not heard of Kino Lorber. I've heard of Kino. Uh, this will be a brand new restoration scanned in 4K, Tom. They're scanning it in in 4K, dear boy. You've got to and, be kidding me. Yeah, now just to clarify... <laughs> This is not a 4K film. It's merely been the negative been scanned in 4K, but it'll still be a 1080p presentation. Uh, it'll feature a number of extra features. I think there's a commentary on there from, uh, not from Charles Ban. I think it's like a, a couple of writers or maybe people who are authorities on these sorts of movies. But you get two different cuts of the movies on there. You get 2D and 3D presentations of the film because indeed, when you watch the film, you'll notice that the parasites jump out at people. And apparently that was meant to be a 3D effect. Oh. Okay. So there you go. Saying all this positive stuff, Tom, uh, it will be locked to Region A, which means that if you live in Europe or the UK, you are fucked, buddy. <laughs> you cannot play this unless you get yourself a multi-region Blu-ray player. Charles Band got his bloody middle, middle finger up at you saying, look, you Brits, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> and to Charles Band, I say back, oh, why don't you just make it region free? Maybe 88 will pick it up or something like that. You never know. Mate. You could see like, that happening, eh? Yeah, yeah. But in a world when we haven't even got a 4K of the beyond, we're getting a 4K of fucking Parasite. And I know it's not a 4K release, but it's a 4K scan, etc., etc. But, you know, hey, if you're a big Parasite fan, I'm happy for you. So with that being said, Tom, uh, it's time to hear what the listeners thought of this. And we've got two listeners in particular, uh, regulars, of course, of The Strange and Deadly Show. You know them well. They both have podcasts of themselves, um, or podcasts themselves, not podcasts of themselves, although they are on it. So the first statement I said was true. The first piece of feedback you're going to hear here is from Andrew Roberts, and then the second will be from Gore Blimey. Andrew, of course, did the uh, Naste Paste podcast, and Gore Blimey, uh, now and again, once or twice a year, releases an episode of The Trilogy of Terror. So uh, let's begin with feedback from Mr. Andy Roberts. Howdy again, chaps. Absolutely wonderful hearing your nostalgic tones in our ears once more, and an utter joy to podcast listeners everywhere. On to this week's sci-fi duo, of course, so we'll start with Parasite, coming from memorable cult buff Charles Band. Incredibly ambitious project, this one. 
It was in 3D and it clearly had aspirations to be the next decent alien ripoff by exploiting the three dimensions in the multiple scenes of graphic alien expulsions. Amongst a background of pseudo-post-apocalypse with some Mad Max-type gangs thrown in, though, it's a bit haphazard, and it doesn't really have the technical prowess to pull off some of the more onerous special effects. That said, you could really do worse than this, as it's quite fun, really, and it also features Demi Moore in one of her very first appearances. Some of the nasties do actually have this habit of showcasing famous actors' early works. You just need to take a gander at the burning to find that one out. It's most likely the frequent scenes of the parasite bursting from its victims, most notably the old woman's face in the bathroom, that earned the wrath of the DPP, especially as Entertainment in Video, who distributed it, were also dishing out Rosemary's Killer, or The Prowler, as the US know it, which was also on the Section 3 list, and also Prisoner of the Cannibal God, under their Hakushin label. It's certainly not grim or nasty enough, though, to be tarred with the Video Nasty label. Nor two is the next film, Night Beast, which is more akin to a 50s sci-fi B-movie with all the charming excesses of the 80s thrown in. Very little backstory, just a few badly animated preambles of an alien arriving on Earth, and then a whole movie of what looks like Admiral Akbar in a silver suit, ripping people apart or vaporising them with a laser pistol. You have to admire the charm of this one, especially as the acting is hammier than a Brexit party's gathering of gammons. And the creature, while rather silly looking, is at least on screen and causing havoc fairly often. The film is enjoyable as a whole, and it's perfect beers and snacks fodder. Some scenes though can be endurance tests, like the prolonged shootout scenes between the law enforcement and a clearly overpowered alien laser blaster. The scenes of TNA and some pretty graphic disembowelments are most likely what caused the DPP to focus on this film more than likely spurred on by the fact that the VHS was a Vipco special, who were already in major trouble for Driller Killer, Zombie Flesh Eaters, Flesh for Frankenstein, The Boogeyman, Death Trap, and The Slayer, all of which were bona fide video nasties. And by the same token, Massacre Mansion, The Nesting, and Shogun Assassin were all hauled in for likely the same guilt-by-association tactic employed by the police. Both good ones, though, this week, and hopefully they've filled your horror boots, so to speak, I'm sure that I'm going to relish your responses. Hi, it's Gore Blimey here. And first of all, just to say, I'm really glad you guys are back. There's been a big hole in my podcast listening, and I'm so glad you're there to plug it for me. I only had a chance to watch one of the two films, so I picked Night Beast, which I must admit is one I've been meaning to watch for a long time. And so here are my thoughts. First of all, the teethy titular monster, known as the Night Beast, despite mostly coming out during the daytime, crashes on Earth where his first experience of human life is a bunch of rednecks with big guns and bad hair. He seems so annoyed or disappointed by this, he starts randomly shooting everything with his astro ray gun, which has the power to immediately vaporise people. And cars. There's so-called Uncle Dave, driving kids out into the middle of the woods at night and telling them to wait in the car, while he goes off presumably to get the chloroform. We have the sheriff and his female deputy wearing a uniform which is surprisingly low-cut compared to the male one. One of my favourite moments with them is possibly the most unerotic sex scene I've ever seen. Out of nowhere, she just kneels down and starts undoing his trousers. 
he has a wound down there somewhere, so she wants to get a look at it, before dropping all her clothes in front of him and having a shower. That's a nasty gash you've got there, says one of them during all this. I'll let you guess which one. Sexy sexy time starts with her standing in all her glory, tan lines making me want to adjust the contrast on my screen, and this tableau of temptation is completed by our rugged hero with his pasty body and greying perm. Uh, by the way, if you look on IMDb, the actress is described as a cute and spunky blonde. I'm saying nothing. Well, the sex scene might not have done much for me as a viewer, but it seems to have done wonders for his nasty stitched-up leg injury, which is completely cured and forgotten from that moment on. Maybe they should look into providing that sort of treatment on the NHS. Other memorable characters include the mayor, with his hair that looks like it was modelled on a Lego character. He represents the wealthy, glamorous side of life, and has a secretary who wears a swimsuit all day, and who likes to sunbathe on a strip of rubbly weed-infested wasteland next to the house. The alien itself, we learn, feeds on human bodies. We also learn it's a bit of a fussy eater, looking at the number of them it leaves lying around, and all those it wastes by just vaporising them with a laser gun. As we build towards the dramatic, electrically charged climax of the film, see what I did there? The survivors take the two-horned power box thing out of the car. Give us a hand, Steve, one of them says. And I thought, there's probably still that rubber one lying around that fell off a victim earlier. The female cop decides to change from her inappropriately ripped blouse into something low-cut and very revealing, and even the alien monster seems to have had a costume change into a metallic disco jumpsuit. The gore effects, um, some of them are not bad at all. The pyrotechnics are real explosions, and when they burn the spaceship, you can tell it's proper size. You can't really scale down fire. It's mainly the post-production effects that are a bit early Star Trek, but come on, they do add to the charm. This movie has a lot of flaws, but it's really entertaining and fun to watch, and I wasn't bored once. Whatever it lacks in budget and acting skills, I think it makes up for in energy and enthusiasm. I read a review somewhere that compared it to something Ed Wood might have done. I don't think that's necessarily an insult. Ed Wood was all about the joy of telling stories and entertaining people and trying not to let a lack of budget get in the way. And that enthusiasm comes across in films like this. I don't know about you guys, and I can't wait to hear what you think, but for me, I love Night Beast. <laughs> oh, gore blimey, you filthy fucker. I would love to fill your hole, or whatever he said, uh, there on the green, green grass of home. He's Welsh, Tom. And that's okay. why Tom Jones Welsh as well. That's the link there. Oh, thank you very much, Andy and Mr. Gorblimey for your feedback is very much appreciated. I like the way Andy said the old woman's face. It reminds me of that old hymn, the old rugged cross, but he said it's the old woman's face. Uh, that's what I thought of it. What say you? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you know, a, a nice positive episode of the Strange and Deadly show. Everyone was kind of amused by these two. So, yeah, that, you know, not bad at all. Not bad at all. Are you going to fill Gorblimey's hole? Maybe with a lemon. Okay, the, the best thing for or, it. Or, or a tin of soup, me. I don't know. <laughs> I used to think that uh, a carrot was appropriate, but a lemon seems better, doesn't it? Yeah. It stretches everything out more. So thanks very much for the feedback, everybody. Now, we're only accepting audio feedback 
from uh, from this point forward. So we're not reading feedback anymore. So if you'd like to get some feedback over to us about one of the films that we're discussing, or perhaps even both of them, you can do so by sending an MP3 file to uh, feedback at strangeanddeadly.com. Com and please try not to make it any longer than four minutes if you can, because obviously it's going to take up a lot of time on the. Uh, don't speak English anymore. It's going to take up a lot of time on the show, so please try and keep it concise if you can. But we would very much love to hear from you. Don't send any written feedback in, though, only audio feedback for the time being. So uh, that's it, guys. That's going to be the end of the show. But of course, we're on a bit of a run now. We're going to get these episodes to you as quickly as we can. What are we covering on the next episode? So I'm episode 36. Okay, well, this one is titled Killer Kids, and it's two movies. One, it's always fucking two movies, but yep. it's two movies. So the first one is called Communion, which is also known as Alice Sweet Alice. I think there's a new release of that coming soon, actually. Mm. And the next one is called Dead Kids, also known as Strange Behavior. So, yeah, Killer Kids in the next Strange and Deadly show. And if you are going to get your thoughts in, we had quite a fast turnaround this time, about a week. So maybe try and do it sooner rather than later. I don't think we'll get it out in a week uh, next time round with my schedule coming up over the next week or so. But it's it's not going to be much longer. So if you do have a chance to watch them and get some thoughts in, then please do. Yeah, we're fast tracking these as much as we can within our schedules to try and get these out and to finish this section three list. Not because we want to rush through it or anything like that. We just want to complete that portion of the project and then see where we go from there. So, yeah, if you fancy getting on it, you know, do try and get on it as soon as you can because it helps with the planning and the editing and all the rest of it. But otherwise, thank you very much. Killer kids, Tom. I'm very much looking forward to that. I love kids. Not in that way. I think they're the future. So the ones that kill, perhaps they're going to get rid of the old bureaucrats, Tom, the dirty corporate bureaucrats, bureaucats who are taking over the world. Perhaps they'll wipe them out, Tom, and we'll just be left with the youth, the future, the youth. We can live in hope. We can live in hope. That's what I hope for. So thank you very much for listening. We very much enjoyed your company. Tom, thank you very much for putting up with my bollocks as usual. I really do appreciate it. And when I say that, I don't mean that I've like got my bollock draped on you or anything Stuck like that. Stuck to my leg. Although, um, well, I've told you before, Tom, but I'm, um, I'm enthusiastic, but I'm small. <laughs> so I'm Chris Clayton. And I'm Tom Elliott. And we'll speak to you on the next episode of The Strange and Deadly Show. Enjoy yourself a lemon and goodbye for now. Bye. You've been listening to The Strange and Deadly Show. Music by Danny Davis. Artwork by Dark Inc. One. And presented by Chris Clayton and Tom Elliott. To listen to the back catalogue or to check out other shows on the network, please visit strangeanddeadly.com. <laughs>